0: We had a good session last couple of times. Uh, we talked about uh, we talked about what the early church grew in. We said in the doc in the doctrine in the apostles' doctrine, which is the doctrine of faith. Uh, of number two, that in breaking of bread, and we had a powerful session on breaking of bread and communion. One of these messages. Then we had in prayers and in fellowship. So four things that. Key in the early church. So first was the apostles' doctrine. Their doctrine, they had, they were very strong in the faith, in doctrine of Christ. Uh, second, they were very, they were, con- they continued daily in breaking of bread, and then they were always in prayers. And number four was fellowship. So we didn't touch fellowship yet, and we'll take fellowship some other time. But last time we studied about ask uh, prayer as being a new covenant reality. You know, prayer was not available as part of the old covenant. You couldn't really just pray to God. Because God was like, man, you can't just come and ask me what you want. I mean, there's a protocol. Uh, You have to keep all the commandments and you do everything right, then you're acceptable, And then all the blessings will come upon you. But you break one, you're going to get... You can't sneak in and say, Lord, have mercy on me. There was no provision, you know, in the old covenant for mercy. Prayer is actually mercy. Prayer is really telling God, you know, I messed up, but I still give me this. I messed up, but give me this. And uh, we studied powerfully about prayer. And the, so prayer is a new covenant reality. So you can ask now that privilege was first given by Jesus in John chapter 17. He said, until now, you never." I think John chapter 15, 16, 17, he said, for the first time, you have never ask anything to the father directly. They used to always come to Jesus and ask things. Like if they wanted bread in the wilderness, they would go to Jesus, you know. They wanted water was running out and wine was running out. They'll come to Jesus. They 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 did not have the guts to talk to the Father directly because you know they never felt righteous enough to talk to the Father. So Jesus said, "Now you can ask the Father anything. Ask Him my name, and the Father Himself loves you and will give it to you." So He kept saying, "Ask, ask, ask. Don't don't try to you know don't try to don't be afraid of this Father. Ask." So the biggest privilege that Christians have is we have a lot of privileges but a great privilege is we can now ask you wonder how many times we just don't ask like james talks about it he says why do fights and wars arise in your midst because you all desire and you don't get Uh, you desire and you don't have but why don't you have because you do not ask he's like he's like fundamental the reason you don't have is because you don't ask and then he says, when you ask, you ask, you don't ask correctly. Now, there he's talking to the Jews because they ask without the privilege of asking. See, he's talking to the tribe, Jews who have not accepted Jesus but they pretend to be asking the Father for a lot of things in their life. And James says, ah ha ah, ah, ha ah. ha, you can't ask, you cannot ask incorrectly because if you're going to ask, you can only ask in Jesus' name. See, because only in Jesus is prayer available. So you cannot just ask incorrectly. But you know what, believers, we can ask correctly. We can ask anything. The Bible says, ask and your joy shall be full. You know, And so it's like, it doesn't have to be, you know, sometimes as believers, we get, we get, we, get, we, we narrow down our prayer list so much because we don't know whether it's God's will. You know, but God, Jesus, God's uh, Jesus response about that is, Ask that your joy will be full. Don't ask because it is God's will. Because God's will is to see your joy full. Let me give you an example. When uh, Peter was in the boat and Jesus was coming on the water, right? And Peter said, if you are him, Jesus, why didn't you ask me come bid on the water? Why don't you ask me to come on the water, correct? Let me tell you, what big biological or physiological need Exists among human human beings for a man to walk on water. I mean, what need is it meeting? What need is it meeting? I mean, the guy is in the boat. You know, I can understand if the guy is sinking and he wants to be able to walk in water to get to the shore. No, 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 no. The scenario is totally different. The guy is safely in the boat and he wants to come out walking on the water to Jesus. So what... what Need is there. What got what? Nothing. But because he asked, what happened? Jesus gave him the, gave him the answer. He said, Come. Because you asked, you receive. Right? Like we asked, after Jesus was raised again, Peter and the disciples went fishing, correct? And all night they toiled and they caught nothing. So did they go fishing because they were hungry? No. Because they just didn't have anything else to do. They were like, What do we do? We don't have any ministry. Jesus is gone. Let's go back to the things that are familiar to me. Familiar to me is fishing. I'm going fishing. See, he toiled all night and Jesus told them, without me you can do nothing. Right? Somewhere around the line, they know that. But, you know, that's kind of, he left it. So they worked all night. They didn't catch nothing. Jesus appears on the next day on the see, This is after resurrection. Right? So now, this is after they are saved. Because Jesus has paid for their sins. They They are believers now. And Jesus says, put your net on the right side and you will catch and he caught a whole bunch of fish, right? Why? Because because Peter wanted to go fishing. Jesus said, okay, you want to go fishing? I'll give you fish. See, because he gives you what you want so that your joy will be full. See, now our desires is when our prayers are answered not because it is God's will, no. Your prayers are answered because you have a relationship with this Father God and this Father God loves you and wants to see you joyful. You see, you have to renew your mind. You have to move from a transition of, I cannot ask this because it's not God's will. No, because now you are God's will because the Holy Spirit lives in you. So the desires that come in your heart is God's desires. So when you ask stuff, He will give it to you. But the only reason we don't have is because we don't ask. So why did Peter have more could walk on water? Because he asked. Why did Peter have a lot of fish? Because he wanted to fish. What do you want? You just ask and you can get it. So, so we never kind of looked at that. You know, we're like, oh, I don't want to be disappointed. You know, I, I, we have heard that, you know. I don't want to ask and not get it and then be disappointed. Mm-hmm. That is, that is old covenant mentality. The old covenant mentality is I need to be perfect. I have to be good for me to receive. But on the new covenant mentality is... I am I'm going to receive everything because my father is good. Amen? Amen. My father is good. So just asking that is one of the reasons. The challenge because we believers we don't ask so much, is that is the reason God gave us the Holy Spirit. Because He knows that we don't ask enough. So He gives us the Holy Spirit and baptizes us with the Spirit so that we can pray in tongues. So that we can, as we pray in tongues, we are asking for ourselves things that you would otherwise not have the guts to ask. So he makes this whole system foolproof. Just keep on praying in tongues. I mean, I'm telling you all this. And that's one of the things that we need to get into a little bit more teaching, that pray in tongues, you know, pray in tongues. You know, because you will be asking stuff for yourself that you never knew that rightfully belonged to you. you. Would, because the Bible says the spirit of truth, he will declare to you the things that belong to you. I mean, he, it's, it's like you are under a trusteeship. Um, uh, 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 it's like you are like a small child. You have inherited this billion dollars, billion, billions of inheritance property, right? But this small child has no idea wh- what it means to inherit such large wealth, correct? So, what the trust, the father has done, right, of this child is he's, he knows that after he's passed away, the child doesn't know the scope of his wealth so what do they do generally what do they do rich families when they inherit when they leave great wealth to their children what do they do
1: what does he do the children
0: or? no the father because they know that the, father, the child cannot manage can. or or they do not know that they have great wealth what do these rich people do an executor correct they have a trustee right a trustee who oversees the property for the child. Right? So, what is a trustee? The trustee knows everything that belongs to the child, mm-hmm. that even the child doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And he executes the estate on behalf of the child. And as he grows, he makes it available more and more to him. Mm-hmm. Correct? That's what the Holy Spirit is, God has given us today. He is a trustee of the things that you do not know that belongs to you. You do not know what to ask, so the trustee writes on your behalf. Ask this, just sign. I will sign on your behalf. Ask it. You see the power that such so much wealth God has given us for us, and we do not know what all belongs to us. That's why He says He declares. Jesus says He makes things. He declares things that belong to Me and declares it to you. Trusty things. Trusty. So, so I would say as believers. Spend a lot of time praying in tongues. Mm-hmm. Now, just make it a habit. Because prayer, praying in tongues is your new covenant posture. It was not available in the old covenant. Remember? This, uh, the, uh, tongues happen only because of the righteousness that Jesus has given us. So now tongues happen. Tongues is really the words that Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit puts in our mouth. Because it's part of the covenant. Because the covenant says, my spirit and my words. Shall not depart out of your mouth or from the mouth of your descendants and your children's dis- descendants' children forever. Yeah. See, two prophets, there are two elements of the new covenant: your spirit and the words will not depart from your mouth. So when the Holy Spirit came, when, when you became a believer, God gave both, He made it available. So what He gave us the Holy Spirit, and He gave us the words in our mouth. Now Lord of Believers do not use the words in their mouth. It's there. So when you're praying for tongues, do not say, Lord, I have not received the gift of tongues. Wrong. You already have it in your mouth. All you have to do is open your mouth and utter it. Because that's a covenant promise that the Spirit and the words will not depart from your mouth. Now he's talking to Jesus. God is talking to Jesus in Isaiah. Out of your mouth, out of the mouth of your descendants and your descendants' descendants. It will not depart. I mean, you will die with it. I mean, in, in the sense, you will always do that. Your tongues will never depart. That's why, you know, when, when I remember when I first became a believer, I never knew about the gift of tongues. So when somebody, I read a book about it, and once and I was praying in one of the churches where we had guilt for a Bible study, and there was we meet on a separate day for prayer, correct? So we we just praying, we just praying, and suddenly it broke up in tongues, and there was this lady next to me, and she had no idea what I was doing because I was also speaking in some tongues which was not making a lot of sense, but I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I just started praying in tongues. Mm-hmm. So I had this experience. I felt that it was intercession going on, you know? So I was like groaning in my spirit. So done with it, I didn't do anything with it, right? Then I, years passed, God grew up, went to college, uh, engineering, then got a job, finally got married. Milu was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she would pray dance, and I knew about it. Did you pray dance in before? Initially, you did. I, I, she talked about it, but she, I knew that she was, I was more like an evangelical guy and she was like a Pentecostal guy, you know? I was like, okay, I will tolerate her kind of, you know? <laughs> I was more of the Baptist kind of thing, that you know? You The Baptist and she's a Pentecostal. And, but that's the power of God to unite us, right? I mean, yeah. It's a whole different story And how when I had to marry her and I was like, Lord, she speaks in tongues. You know, and says Pentecostal. I mean, like, what have I got to do with this? You <laughs> know. But God said, "Do yeah, you have any other complaints against her?" I mean, you wanted a believer, blah blah blah. But what what do you have? So mine was like, "What is your problem? What do you have against her?" I said, I mean, "There's nothing else." mean how can I say I cannot marry her? You know, for me, I was like, I want I wanted my type. You know, in terms of you know, not too much Pentecostal. She so was like. That's it. What's the problem? What do you have against her? So I said, not really, nothing. You know, I don't. I can't say anything. No. So I said no. I said yes. So that's how it. But it's amazing. Then we went to Muscat. Uh, we were in India for one year, and then after one year of marriage, we went to Muscat. We joined a, a interdenominational church, and the pastor. Uh, so. I had to go through a lot of sanctification. Let's say. <laughs> uh, so 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 Milu was like and she was very wise, you know, and she she I think and she was like getting frustrated with me as a guy. I mean I'm not born to baptize I'm, I'm just a believer, you know. Not bought to baptize, no feeling in the spirit and God and apparently Milu had a deal with God going, I mean one more year Lord, that's it! <laughs> Or something like that that she has. I don't know the exact duration, but, you know, if you don't change this guy, I'm done, you know. (laughs) So, it unknown to me, God was working on me, you know. And I I don't want to hear anything about water baptism because I'm of that traditional understanding that, you know, you don't need to be water baptized and all that. We believe in Christ and that's it, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And, uh, so, why am I saying all this? But I don't know about that. (laughs) so, so, but she started praying with the pastor privately, praying for me, you know, that I might be, uh, understand what, water baptism and the things and the things of the Lord and stuff like that. And she would not advise me or tell me nothing. One day I was sitting in, in one of the Bible studies in the church, uh, in the house. We'd, we'd meet one of the days on this and pastor talked about water baptism. Just, just, not water baptism. He's, Obedience. obedience. You talked about obedience. No, nothing to do with water baptism. this and nothing. The Holy Spirit started talking to me about water baptism. You know, saying you have to do this as an act of obedience. You yeah? know, just as obeying obedience. And I came and told Milo, I want to do it. And she was like sure. <laughs> shocked. Then no. Went and told the pastor. Then I went and told he the pastor. And she was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she went and he went and told Milu, and she she was like shocked sure. you see how. Uh, I mean, there's wisdom with wives and husbands, right? Sometimes you 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 really want to, you know, counsel yourself very aggressively. But many times, you know, the wisdom is talk to God about him. And God will take care of him. That's very, very wise. I've seen that that works a lot. At least works for me, right? (laughs) Works a lot. So why am I saying this is what happened? Was, so we go for water baptism on the, on the shore of the Arabian Sea. So we got baptized in the sea. You, there you baptize in the sea. You know? So we walk into the water baptism. We, we meet for prayer before we are going into the uh, sea to get baptized. And the moment I sit, I stand there and start praying, I started breaking into tongues. I mean, this is after many, many years. Uh, when I first spoke in tongues, and then. So, my point being is the words never departed. Your words never departed. It's not like I got baptized for the first time. See, I was already what? Baptized in the Spirit. Right? It never departed. But new words, not the words that I spoke when I first prayed in tongues many years back. Many years back. Before marriage, many years back. Then, but the words never departed. And I, and I got water baptized. Where, that Sunday, it was a Sunday. Wasn't it a Sunday? It was a Sunday morning. Yeah. Sunday. Friday. Friday. It's a Friday. In, in Middle East, The Friday is a Sunday because Friday is a holiday. Right? So Friday uh, afternoon was the church. I was in the church and I was still praying in tongues. In tongues. So what I'm saying is the words never depart out of your mouth. Your words never depart of your mouth. So I'm saying is, it's always there in your mouth. So just open your mouth and just speak it. It doesn't have to be very loud. It doesn't have to be very eloquent. Just open your mouth and just speak it. Let the Holy Spirit build you up. Build your faith. Make things available for you that, doesn't, that, that you never knew you had. Make your ways prosperous. You know, it's like a supernatural gift of asking. Of all the things he gave us on the Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost, he gave us tongues. That means the prayer language. He said, because he knows how important this whole principle of asking is in the new covenant. Therefore, ask. Therefore, ask, 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 ask. I mean, you need to be like we shared in the session last time, you need be prolific askers. Asking so much. Like, ask for anything. Just ask anything. You want a big house, ask for a house. You want this, you want a job, ask for a job. You want something about your children, ask, ask, ask. Don't give up asking. Keep on asking. Just keep on asking. If you're bored of asking, pray in tongues. Because the Holy Spirit continues to ask on your behalf. Continues to ask on your behalf. And a lot of things, uh, James is very clear. You do not have because you do not ask. And then that, why do, why do you get stressed? So Why do we get stressed? And we studied it last time. I'm just revising it a little bit. Because I think it's very cool. He said, because people don't ask because they are very proud. When you are proud, you don't ask. And you try to work it out with your own. So, when you try to work it out on your own strength, you get stressed. Because you are not willing to ask. Asking needs humility, correct? Asking means, I will not work it out on my own strength. I would rather just ask. Or, I will stress about it and work it out. And so, that God calls pride. And the Bible is very clear on it. We showed from passages last time, three or four examples where the enemy comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's talking about the state where you do not ask but you try to work it out in your own strength and you are always stressed. He says that he calls a state of vulnerability to the enemy. So the way to solve it is humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. And then he says by asking. How do you humble yourself before God? By praying. We, would think, we always think that humbling before God is a posture of your heart, right? No, 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 That's not how the Bible looks at it. Bible calls humbling means, are you pray? Did you pray about it? He calls that humbling. That means anytime by prayer and supplication. That is humbling. When you don't pray, God calls it pride. When you pray, God calls it humility. Because praying is a new coming reality. It pre, 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 presupposes your lack of your uh, your weakness. It presupposes it. The fact that you're praying <coughs> uh, tells God what that this guy is not able. He's asking for my help, and he calls that humble. So when you stress, the reason we stress about any situation is because in that area James is being fulfilled that we have not asked, and there are wars in our members. They are stressed. Because in that area, they are not asked. So you'll say, but I have asked. Okay, you asked in English, but have you asked in the spirit? You know? Maybe you're not asking all the things that rightfully belong to you. So so, so the point being is, ask. Okay? Good. Okay, Now, let's go to something very powerful today. And I, I think this is a, a very... <coughs> Uh, an essential and very central doctrine that we will study today, and uh, I don't think we'll be able to cover everything because I have to go at my time, <laughs> and everybody said, I'm oh, there. <laughs> so, so we, if you we don't cover this half we will we'll continue some other time, some other session. But we will we'll, we'll cover it as much as we can. And I want you to get this in your spirit and try to understand it a little deeper. So it's a little deep. Let me kind of forewarn on you. So I'm going to ask for God's help and strength that you might be attentive. And you'll have the uh, zeal to hear and you'll have hearing ears. Okay. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. The title of the message is Truth. Truth. Straight. Straight up, front simple truth. But the most essential and most essential aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth. The truth. The truth. And you will see some passages that you've never seen, uh, never seen the light of it like before. It's something very, very beautiful. Uh, so, you might not be able to cover everything, but let's go to whatever we can. Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 11. Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 11. For that let's go to continuing with the passage of prayer right let's go to matthew chapter 21 verse 13 matthew chapter 21 verse 13 matthew chapter 21 verse 30 okay can somebody read that And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, for you have made it a den of thieves. Okay. So Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Correct? You see that? He said, my temple is a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Okay? So, forget about what you have understood up till now about that passage. Okay? But he, who all did he draw out? Who, who all did he draw out? Money is... Money is... Yeah, that's what you always think. Correct? But let's read what, who all he draw out. Let's read it. Verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out. All those who bought and sold. So he not only so drove out the money changes, he also drove out all those who bought and also the the ones who sold. So pretty much anybody who was walking there with a sacrifice, he threw them out. So he drove out everybody who bought or sold, not just the ones who sold, but also. Bought. Right? So you always think that he was against the money changers. No, 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 no. He was against the whole system of buying and selling money changers and dows and everything. Do you want more further proof of that? Let's go back. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter... Let's Let's go to Mark chapter 11 verse 16. Mark chapter 11 verse 16. Mark chapter 11 verse 16. So, he, so when they, they came to Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold. Look at the word bought and sold. Who are buying it? The people. The people are buying sa- uh, offerings, uh, sheep, goats to offer sacrifices. So he's buying that. But he, dro- he drove them out and the ones who sold and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. What are the doves used for? Sacrifices, correct? Even Jesus, remember, Mary also offered a pair of turtle doves, you know, when Jesus was circumcised, correct? So they would use doves because that was for the poorest of poor, they would use doves. For the uh, richest people, they would use an oxen. For the second guys, they would use a sheep, and then they would use doves. So in that progression, so everybody had to bring in some offering, but Jesus drove everybody out. But you will see a truth that maybe you've never seen before. But it's going to be powerful. Remember, we are talking about prayer, correct? We are talking about Jesus. I'm, 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 my house is a house of prayer. Or we remember we never use the word prayer when we thought, thought about prayer. We said what? Ask. Ask. My house is a house of asking, not a den of thieves and robbers. Now you say, why did Jesus use the word thieves and robbers? Very interesting, right? Why do we use the word thieves and robbers? Who is robbing who out here? If, if he is driving out the people who bought, how are they robbing? I can understand the money changers. Okay, because we have been taught by traditional preaching that it is the money changers who are cheating the people. No! There may be one, may be, may not be, who cares? But at this point of time, why are the people who bought? How are they thieves and robbers? Right? Interesting. I'll tell you are so going to hit on a major truth. okay. And he would not, and that was 16, he would not allow anyone to carry wares around in the temple. He would not allow, Jesus would not allow anybody to carry these offerings in the temple. He would not allow, he would not allow them to carry. Them. Here is a classic case with Jesus, he would not allow them to do it. And you would think that he's doing it towards the end of his ministry, isn't it? This is just before Jesus, after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, this is what the chapter is. And after that he enters in the temple. He did this at the very beginning of his ministry. Go back to John chapter 2. Let's go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is, how many of you agree, it's at the beginning of his ministry? I mean, John chapter 2, right? Okay, John chapter 2. John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. That is the third day. Just This is the first miracle of Jesus, correct? And verse 30. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went to Jerusalem straight after Canaan. The Passover or this one of the first Passover of Jesus. Remember, the Jews had to go to Jerusalem on Passover because that was the law. On Passover, you had to assemble in Jerusalem. On the, uh, t- on the Feast of Tabernacles, you have to be in Jerusalem. You know, so Jesus had to be in, uh, Passover had to be in Jerusalem as a Jew. He had to be in Jerusalem. So he goes there. Was cooking. First Passover. He's in first Passover, he's in Jerusalem. Right? What does he do? And he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, and do- and those doves and the money changers doing business. And he made a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers, money, and overturned the tables. And he said to them who sold the dows, to the poorest of people, right? He's selling the dows. He's telling them what? Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He didn't use the same word. What, what is the word that he used before? He said, my house has is a house of prayer, but you made it a den of... But here he's saying, just in his first year of ministry, in, uh, in first Passover, he goes into the temple and he says, Do not make my house a place of merchandise. Two different incidents, correct? But the essence is the same. Jesus doesn't want the temple to be a place of transaction. Do you get that? He doesn't want, but he wants it to. He says, My house is a house of prayer. Means he said, I don't want people in my house transacting. I want you to just ask. Don't come into God's presence with a transaction that I have something to offer to you for for me to receive from you. That is pride. Because you presuppose that what you are offering is acceptable to God. And God says, that's robbery." I don't, I don't know whether you're getting it but you'll get it because I'm going to show you passages that you're, when you come into God's temple, when you come into this house of God you cannot come saying that I have something to offer you don't have anything to offer you come in a total position of grace before God I don't have anything to offer Lord I just come merely to ask so when you come to, to God saying I come to you asking, guess what? the lame and the blind, they come to Jesus and they receive him right away. Just after this incident. when Remember Jesus drove out the money changers and the dows and immediately the next passages the lame and the blind came to Jesus and they received it. Why? Because the lame and the blind did not come with any offering. They didn't come with anything. They just came asking. Come asking. Come. Don't come pretending that your offering is pure. Don't come pretending that what you have done is acceptable to God don't come pretending that what you're doing for God is something be, that deserves a response from God you're gonna get no response the response you go to get to God to, uh, when you go to God saying that I have something to offer is God says "Robber, you are a thief you're trying to come in not through the door you're trying to come in through another way you're trying to come in through your effort you're trying to come in with your strength you're a thief. You have to come in through the door. Guess who said that? Jesus. He said, if anyone who does not come in through the door, but comes in through any other way, is a thief and a robber. Say word. Because now you're trying to come in with your own effort. instituted by God? No! That was not God's plan. Burnt offerings was not God's plan. Do you have words for it? Yes. Let's go for it. Let's go to, let's go to Jeremiah chapter, Jeremiah chapter 7. Remember these words that Jesus quoted that you, you have made this a house of, den of thieves. My house is a house of prayer. Obviously, he's quoting an Old Testament prophet. Correct? Where is he quoting this from? Let's go to the original quote. Jeremiah chapter 7. You're going to shout when you see this revelation. And it makes it so easier. Right? Makes it more. Di- Jeremiah chapter 7. Let's go to that. I didn't even know this passage existed in the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 7. Okay. Now Jeremiah chapter 7 is Jeremiah talking to the house of Israel and saying, I'm just tired of your offerings. Don't even come to me with your offerings. You all go and steal. You all do all kinds of things. You all swear falsely and you'll come to my altar and cry on it. I don't want it. I don't care. I don't just do it. I mean he's just going line upon line. I, I, I don't want to go through the whole passage but I'll read a few verses for you. Okay. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying stand in the gate of the Lord's house. He's now standing in the temple. Right, and proclaim here this word hear the word of the Lord all you of Judah who enter at these gates to worship the Lord see they're coming to worship the Lord and God is telling them thus says the Lord I'm in your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in your place do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of God the temple of God the temple of God you know for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings and you thoroughly execute judgment between a neighbor and a, a man and a neighbor and if you do not oppress a stranger and then then i will cause you to dwell in this place behold you trust in lying words that do not profit will you steal murder commit adultery swear falsely burn incense to Baal walk after the other gods and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say we are delivered to do all these abominations i mean, isn't it? These were the prophets of the Old Testament. I mean, they just represented God in the true light of the law. I mean, there was no, I mean, there's no grace out here. I mean, don't come to me and say that we have been delivered to do all these things. Just because we have the temple of God. Okay, he doesn't stop there. Then look at the words. Verse 11. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? What is he saying is you all are pretending to be righteous and perfect when you come into the house. And is it not become a den of thieves? Because you are not all thieves. Because you are not pretending. What do the thieves do? They they claim what do the thieves do? What qualifies for anybody to be a thief? They possess property that does not rightfully belong to them. Yes? That's correct. So when the people stand in the temple of God claiming the righteousness that they belong as they as being theirs which doesn't belong to them and they pretend as if it is theirs, they have the privilege to stand in the presence of God, God calls them a thief. God tells them it doesn't belong to you because you are not, you are not being righteous but you are claiming that you are righteous. Right? And you're, and you're doing it based on your works. And you're not blind not to see that you're not righteous. Because you're just plain wicked. Right? And you're coming there saying that you're righteous. then you're not. Admit that you're not righteous. Right? But they're not doing it. So you're a thief. You're a thief. You're stealing my glory. Correct? You're, you're a den of thieves. So has my house become a den of thieves? Okay. Behold, I even I have seen it. He says, I have seen it. I can see God. You know, God is not blind. He said, I can see this. I can see you completely. I want to see you inwardly. In many times the Pharisees, they went to God externally. And Jesus saw them naked internally. And Jesus says, you are naked internally. That's it. you are whitewashed tombs. Because you are clean outside, but inside you are dead. You see that hypocrisy? They are being a robber. They are pretending they are righteous when they are not. But they are pretending to be righteous because of their external righteousness. And God says, You're a thief, you're robbing, you're standing in place. That's why God hated hypocrisy. He says hypocrisy denies your deprives you of your riches. Because if you were not a hypocrite, you would receive it by just asking. But because you say that you see, you cannot receive what rightfully belongs to you because of what I did. Make sense? If you are just asked, instead of pretending you would get it, instead of pretending in your own strength. See how dangerous hypocrisy is? When we refuse to ask and we depend on our own strength, we are being a hypocrite. We are being a den of thieves. Okay, that's not the point, but the point is, let's keep going. And then, he keeps on saying, I'll throw you out, and blah blah blah, therefore, and then when he says, "Uh, let's keep reading. Now he's, now he's, now he's really, now he really pours it out. I mean, he really, now he's really forced it on. Now he's talking about the sacrifices, right? I mean, this is, this is so harsh. I mean, it's the same God that we serve. It's the same Father. But see how the Father's heart has, in Christ Jesus, he looks at us so much full of graciousness. Not because he's angry. He hates our hypocrisy. But in Christ Jesus, he doesn't call us hypocrites. He calls us righteous. This just blows your mind. The same guilt... Sin that these people are guilty of, that they are not righteous, but they pretend they are righteous, we are guilty of in a sense, right? If it were not for Jesus, when we come before God, we stand in whose righteousness? In the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. But God calls that good, he receives that. But when we stand in our righteousness, he calls that evil. And look at, and this is what God says about sacrifices. Okay? Verse 21. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. To your burnt offerings, to your sacrifices, and eat it. Eat meat. He says, Go ahead and eat your sacrifices. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't don't need your sacrifices. You go and eat your own (laughs) sacrifices. I mean, this is (laughs) like eat your sacrifices. Okay? But this is what I but this is what I commanded them, says the Lord. Okay, now this is it. Verse 22. For I did not speak. I did not. I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that they brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. Hold it. When God brought Israel out of of Egypt, God never brought them burnt offerings and sacrifices. How did he bring them out? He brought them out by his grace. Not because of they transacted something. Mm-hmm. They never he said I never told you to bring sacrifices and offerings for me to deliver you. Or when I brought you what your demand is. I never brought when was a sacrificial system instituted? After they made the burn, uh, golden calf. When they refused the word of grace, when they refused God's unconditional love, when they rejected that, God instituted the law, with the law came sacrifice. But sacrifices was not God's life. This is Jesus, God's own words. He said, I did not tell Israel about sacrifices. Right? Now, now explains why Jesus is saying, just get this whole thing out. Because this is not my idea. See, the law came in secretly. Secretly, on the side. That is not God's plan. God's plan is not that you can boast in your righteousness. God does not knows you cannot. So he said, the law came in. As I started, Just like Satan brought the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the law. He said, he brought it. He said, don't eat of the tree of life. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat that. Right? That's, and God, God said, that is not my plan. That's not my plan. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all the institution of the law and the sacrifices of all. But it was a foreshadow of the type of Jesus Christ that was going to come. But it was just a shadow. It was not the substance. Remember, it's just a shadow, not the substance. So here is when Jesus walking in the temple, what has arrived? What has arrived? The substance has arrived. So when in the face of the substance, you still go with the sacrifices, what, what, what does it show? You are, huh? Yeah, because you are undermining the substance. Can you imagine if Josh and Joanna suddenly starts worshipping an image of me in the house instead of loving me everything he goes to an image of me That that's undermining me you don't want that right he's going after something else but it, that's a very poor example but the point is is God, here is a substance out here you don't want to be you don't want to be going after that that's why in Hebrews talks about it having now received the knowledge of the truth people still going back to temple sacrifices and he says that's a sin that cannot be forgiven you know you cannot, you cannot come. He's, he's talking to the Jews who have already received, who know, not received Jesus, but they know the knowledge of Jesus. And he says, but they, they rejected Jesus. Now this is after resurrection and they're still going back to the temple in Jerusalem. And guess what happened to the temple in Jerusalem? 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. You see, because God has done away with the burnt offerings. Because Jesus, the final sacrifice has arrived. Okay, now look at what Jesus says. And I spoke to you, I, for I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is what I commanded them. Obey my voice. See? Someone just listen to my voice. Just as in the new covenant that we have. We just have to listen to his voice. Obey my voice. Do what God, the Holy Spirit tells you. I will be your God. Ah, Same words. New covenant words. I will be your God. And you will be my people. And walk in the ways that I have commanded you. And it will be well with you. And uh, so, so let's go back to, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 8, Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah chapter 61, now this is, you know, this, this is the chapter that Jesus spoke when the Spirit of the Lord was upon him in the, and he spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth. And this is the chapter that Jesus opened. Jesus opened this chapter of the book of Isaiah. He opened the scroll and he read this chapter, right? So we know the first few verses. They say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has anointed me to preach the good tidings, good news, right? He says, to proclaim, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those of blood, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and then he didn't read the next verse, which says "Proclaim the year of vengeance of the Lord. Because you know that is not yet fulfilled. That will be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus Christ. How good, how Jesus was so accurate to stop at there. Correct? He didn't go to, the, to proclaim the, the day of vengeance. He still not come to proclaim that. So he stopped at the day of the year of the Lord. Right? Okay. Now look, listen to verse 8. He's talking about the Messiah coming. This is a prophecy about the Messiah coming. Verse 8. For I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. There. Robbery, burnt offering. God considers burnt offering a robbery. Unless of course the offering is 100% righteous. Because anything less than a 100% righteous offering is robbing God of his glory. That means it's it's like a... Uh, Bobby borrowed something from me uh a thousand dollars two years back, right? And she has to pay me back for two years. She never paid me back. And finally, one, two years later, she comes with me with an envelope written on the top, thousand dollars. So it's sealed. She gives it to me. And I'm like, thank you, Bobby, at last. Thank you, thank you. You know, you remember, okay? Many times you give to friends, you... You remember, they remember, but you both pretend that we don't know, right? It's <laughs> very awkward, right? give it to friends, you know, that's why whenever you give to friends, you better not expect it. expect it. You give it as a gift, don't give it to lend, right? Just a side, right? <laughs> you always give it to give, not to lend, never lend to friends, never lend to friends. Or to anybody, just give, right? But suppose this is a hypothetical situation, so... You, and she writes thousand dollars, puts in. It's an envelope. I write it and She goes. She's home and I. And back home, I open the envelope and I find two dollars in it. And the rest is in demons. Neiman. Now we know where all the money goes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Neemans! Okay. Okay. I don't know. Thousand can cut it there. No, no, huh? no. Thousand is like. So right.
1: something. Yeah. You might get some <laughs> of this. <laughs> um,
0: you know, the keychains when they are going out. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate. <laughs> Yeah. but is it, how many of you would agree that is stealing? Yeah, that is stealing right? so he says when you bring burnt offering it's robbery you, you're just robbing me so that's like, I, and he's in the same chapter where he's prophesying the Messiah is going to come with the gospel of truth he says in that chapter he says I hate he's telling why I have brought this gospel of truth he says why I brought this because I hate burnt offering I, I hate it. I just, I just survived with it. You know, until my son comes. But it's just a temporary get by till you recognize how pitiful you are. You know? And until John the Baptist cried out and said, behold the Lamb of God. Then it was like a relief. Finally, you know. When that, because he was the last of the prophet. The prophet finally was all supposed to point to the coming Jesus. The law and the Moses, the law. The law of Moses and the prophets all testify of Jesus. So they all are talking about this Jesus card, right? So they're really not focused on their burnt offering, their commandments. Moses was talking about the law and the burnt offerings. The prophets were talking about how good and righteous they need to be. And God is saying, no, no. They're really not talking about that. They're telling that if you cannot make it on your own righteousness, ask openly, and then God will have mercy on you. But why don't you just ask instead of depending on your own mercy. If you want to depend on your good works, then you have to keep all the law, not break even one, right? Like I was listening to a message by Robert Morris. He was, I think he was talking about the law in, in the restaurant that was playing. I was listening to him he was saying, it's like, a, if, it's like somebody giving, a teacher giving you a test. The law was like that, right? Give you 60 questions. The dealers, if you, if you answer one question wrong, you are, you flunk the test. That's the law. You got, I got 59 right, got one wrong. No, you, you flunked the test. By the way, he says <laughs> this so funny. By the way, the test does not start now. The test has already started and you've already flunked, it. <laughs> it is that bad. <laughs> so you're like, okay, Lord, I will do it. <laughs> you know? Then, you, then by, by the time you said that, he said, okay, the test is already over because you already took the test and you flunked. Hold it, when? You know, that's how our situation is with the law. You know, I mean, you're not like you're trying to keep it. So in Mount Sinai, they were already failed, but God was like, okay, just give him a test. You know, let them keep, take that test again. You know, for their own sake, that they know that they're failed. I know they're failed, but let them go ahead and take. I mean, they, they just, they just finished making the golden calf. I, mean, I mean, is that not a test flunked? Yeah. I mean. But the law came, you know, and they, they just and said, okay, I will give you a second pair of tablets. How about that? <laughs> you know? I mean, they should have got it by now. Nah. Law. <laughs> Cap. Tablets again? No, no, no. I'm not going that route. No, but no. They're like, no. And, and Moses was like, he made us make them sacrifice, make them, you know, drink that the judgment and said. And sprinkled the blood and says, Everybody repeat after me. That's what he did in the front. Everybody repeat after me. If I do not keep, if I do not keep all the words of the law, all the words of the law, I am cursed, I am cursed. That's how they made them. Moses made them repeat. It. And they spoke, and they were like confidently, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but more, God knows. And that, that's what Isaiah is talking about. I hate, I hate the law. Love justice. You know I love justice? God loves justice. He wants it to be just. But he says, I hate robbery for burnt offering. So I love an offering, but I want it to be done justly. Got it? I love justice and I hate robbery for burnt offering. Do you get that thing? But I want it to be done justly. I mean, if you're gonna give me an offering, I want it just, perfect, right. It has to be right. Say right. It cannot be faulty, little bit missing, little blemish, no. It has to be perfect. I love justice, I'm a God, I'm a great God. That's what he says in Jeremiah chapter seven. He says, I'm a great God. You, you don't seem to get it. I'm not like this local character and God. No, <laughs> I'm like God of the universe, right? Not your local terrain. I'm like the great God. Do you think you can just get come to me with this? A sac- an offering is proportionate to the, uh, the one who receives it, isn't it? I mean, can you go to President Obama with what? A bag of Lay's chips? No, but to a kindergarten guy, you can, right? Because for him, ah, oh, thank you, you yeah? know? Because it's proportionate, but to a great God, that offering has to be perfect. It has to be honourable, it has to be perfect. Do you expect to receive anything? Right, he said, I am a lord, love justice, I hate robbery for birth of me. And then he says a word, and this is the core of the message. I will direct their work in truth. See, I'm going to direct this truth. I'm going to, I, I want them to offer to me in truth. Say the word truth. True. Say truth. True. Truth. So when the word truth appears in the gospel, it is about this aspect of this offering. Say offering. So the word truth is not how we understand truth in English. We think truth has been something that is true or real. But not all things that are real is the truth. The law was real. The offerings were real. But that is not the truth. Do you get it? When the Bible talks about John says Moses gave the law but grace and truth came from Jesus. So he's contrasting the law and truth. But I thought law is true. No. When God is talking truth he's talking about what is just and perfect. Just and perfect that will transact a relationship on which God can Commune with man on a just basis. You got it? He needs a justified method to commune with you. Justified method. A justified method. He cannot do it in a robbing way. Like you know, like a half-bake way. Through a burnt offering, kind of, kind of, you know, I just wear the right clothes, you know, I just pray every day, or I just fast every day, I give tithes every day. You know, and he said, like, ah, doesn't come for me. You have to come to me. So he says, God says, I will take the responsibility. I will direct their way in truth. I will direct it. I will direct the way because they, they want to have a relationship with me. I'm going to direct their way in truth. Get reading. And I will make an everlasting covenant. Their descendants will be known among the Gentiles. Their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge them. And they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. See, now he's talking about a covenant. which is the new covenant. that I will do it. I will establish this. I will direct their paths into. truth. Got it? So he is going to do it. He is going to direct our ways in truth. Right? Okay. Let's now go back to Malachi chapter. Okay. Let's go to Malachi chapter. Or let's go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Actually, Luke chapter eleven verse 37. Uh, I'm going a little deep in this about this whole business of robbery and truth. This truth that we study in the gospel, the truth, when Jesus says, I am the truth, I'm the way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and Jesus told this of, of, of Pilate. For this reason, I came into the world to proclaim the truth. He said, and that's what he said. I come into the world to give you truth. The truth is the word; what sets us free. And the Bible says, "He who knows the word, he who abides in the word, that he shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free." See, it's the truth that sets you free. Nothing else, right? Everything is about the truth, right? If he's not of the truth, that's why in the Old Testament everywhere it said, uh, they met. they met mercy and truth mercy and truth mercy and truth you know the first time the word truth appears in the Bible is in Genesis when the servant of Abraham said when he found Rebekah he said Lord has favored me with mercy and truth the first time the word truth appears it is combined with the word mercy first time because with truth is mercy. The truth is not as you say, oh, this is true. Or, or everybody's talking about the truth, truth. No, no, no. When God says truth, he's talking about the justification by faith in Christ Jesus as an act of mercy. God says, mercy and truth. And that's why the Bible says, mercy and truth came from Jesus Christ. Right? The first time it's mentioned, it is mentioned in with. So Moses was looking for mercy and truth. He was not looking for the law. He said, I, I know I cannot keep the law. I want mercy and truth. And God says, so he says, but if you try to come to the burnt offering, I will call you a robber. I'm going to call you a robber. And why why am I insisting on so much? Because every time we try to boast in our self-effort, or we depend un, un, unknowingly or unintentionally, we try to depend on our brownie points with God to receive anything from us, it stops you from getting anything. The moment you say you you are you I deserve this because of what I did or this like that you just you know it's a thing that alarm goes up. robber 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 robber. thief 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 because now you're like not asking right you just come and ask don't try to when the centurion remember when the centurion we talked about that last time right when the centurion uh, had this servant that was lying dreadfully sick he sent people rulers of the Jews Message and, told, and they went and interceded with um, Jesus. And what did they tell Jesus? See, because they are still law-minded, so they say he. We have somebody who has built us a synagogue. He is worthy. He this there is a desperate need. See, he's bringing up all this. He deserves to be healed. He's done something for our nation, right? And guess what? Nothing happened. Jesus says, "Okay, I'll come to his house." So nothing happens. So then a new message goes from the centurion. Because the centurion is at home, right? And the centurion is like, what's going on? Why is my servant not healed? So he sends somebody else. Because obviously the message is not got to Jesus. The right message. What is the right message? Because the next message comes to Jesus and says, Lord, why are you coming to my house? I am not worthy for you to come into my house. Just speak the word and that person, will, my servant will be healed. Hold it a totally different message from the first message that Jesus heard about this centurion. He said that this man has done great things for my nation. He's worthy to receive. You know? And no miracle happens. But when he comes with a message he says that he's not worthy to even walk into your house. Guess what? The same, very same he receives. Correct? You see because he just asked. He did not come to him deserving based on his merit. Correct? Now look at this. Look at this. Luke chapter 11. Now, uh, uh, verse 37. And he spoke and a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down with him. And when Jesus saw it, when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before the dinner. And Jesus said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Say "Inward Inward. inward part. Inward part. Inward part. Inward part. Okay? Foolish ones. Did he not who made the outside make the inside also? But give arms. This is a very interesting thing, right? I've never understood this verse until when, we st- when I was doing this Bible study and some weeks before. But give arms. He's talking about washing and all that, but he's, now suddenly he switches into arms Because for God offerings is uppermost on his mind. If you're going to have a relationship with me, you have to Offer me a righteousness. You have to offer me an offering of righteousness. I'll tell you how important it is. He never thought about it that way. If you're going to come to me, your offering has to be hundred percent righteous. See hundred percent righteous. 100%. So he says you are you are outside your plane but inside you're all dead, pretty much, right? But give arms of such things as you have, in the sense you should give arms of such things that you have inside. But if your inside is dead, how can you give me an offering? Right? Keep reading. Then if you give something that is right, perfect internally, all things are clean for you. Correct? Makes sense. Verse 42. He still hung upon offerings. Look at this. Verse 42. But what to you Pharisees. For you tithe. It's a, is it an offering? A tithe is an offering. Correct? You tithe, mint, rue, all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. See again the question. You reduce you, you tired of everything. But you pass by justice. See because you are not giving me a right offering. You are giving me all these herbs and mint and all that. Right. Should you not give me that? What is the answer? Offering to you is very hard. I mean, if you, I mean, I want, I mean, we have, as believers, we charismatic leaders, and we, we have grown up in this environment, and we've we been always taught the tithes. Unless you give your tithes, God will, God will rebuke the divorce. Really, it's not about tithes. It's about this offering that God places demand on man for him to have fellowship with you. He says, you just can't just give me tithes. You have to give me everything. You have to give me everything. That is why the demand of the rich man was what? sell all and follow me. You cannot. You, you have to come to me complete. You just cannot come with just your mint in your room. I just want everything. But God that is too tough. Yes. Precisely. That is the point. It is so tough that you just cannot. The point is even if these guys give everything God will still does not cause a robbery because it is not a just offering. Because their inward parts is not fruit. Because they bypass what? Love and justice. You see the justice? You have to give your offering perfect. It has to be a perfect offering. It has not only to be a perfect offering, it has to be all your offering. You cannot just give your tithes, but you have to give all your offering also. Everything has to be given for you to have a relationship with me. Now this is a big demand. Yes, it's specific. There's a good reason why he's doing it. It's so powerful. Let's keep it and then keeps it uh, keep reading further down. Okay. And then he says, uh, verse 20, you bear witness of he talks about his fathers that you all y'all y'all, y'all, y'all y'all your fathers uh, murdered your prophets. And, but verse 49 he says, Therefore the wisdom of God says, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of them you will kill and persecute. That the blood of all the prophets which were shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. Wow you know how many of you know that? What does that mean? How many of you know that? What does it mean? That the blood of all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah will be required of this generation? He says this is the wisdom of God. So what is God trying to do out here? He's like, man, I'm going to send them more prophets, let them kill more, and finally I'm going to require the blood of this generation. So you, it looks like a vengeance, right? Right? It almost sounds like a God of vengeance, isn't it? Like He's like, Okay, just one more shot, and I'm gonna make sure that you all get it, right? Right? No, that's not what he said. That's why he said God says it's the wisdom of God. See, God it appearing as if they are going to win this whole battle against God and destroy all his prophets. But God said, I will require the blood out of this generation. Which generation? The generation which Jesus was part of. And who paid for that price? Jesus. It was required of this generation. You know, God said, I will require it of this generation. He just he, if he had required of any other generation prior to Jesus or post Jesus, what happened? They couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't, the punishment would have been more than their offering. But on the cross, the offering was more than the punishment. You see the difference? You see the thing? That on the cross, Jesus survived. Right? I mean, he, 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 he gave all and yet he remained. He gave all. That means his, his what he gave to God was more than what was demanded as a punishment for all the sins of the world. Isn't that good? That means God has become a net gainer because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Unlike you and me, when we would bring a sacrifice to God, we would always fall short. But because God, Jesus paid the sacrifice, the blood was required of that generation in which Jesus was born, and Jesus offered a more than enough sacrifice so it's like you owe somebody a hundred dollars and the guy paid you a million dollars and you're like just keep it just in case you owe some more in your future that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ hallelujah so now the offering that God has paid or to himself through his son Jesus Christ is more than what was required of this generation so guess what? Now we can go boldly to God and say, Hey, guess what? You've become pretty rich because of me. You know? So you better give me what I want because you become rich. I really didn't have to pay so much of punishment for my sins. But Jesus more than paid it. So you, that is why the Bible says you have now become rich in Christ Jesus to God. You've become rich in Christ Jesus. Why? Because, oh, hallelujah. So now we have no shame before God, right? Now, when we go before God, it's it not like, you know, I have to confess two more sins. No! Hold it! More than enough! Are you kidding me? When you come to God, you are no more in debt to God. Isn't that so cool? I mean, you're like, seriously, God, how much more sins can I bring up? That I have, Jesus has not already paid. But does that cause you to sin more? That is evil. You don't. That, that causes you to be more in gratitude to your Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Like, no, no. So, what does this bring to? It brings to the point is how bad can you get that you cannot be saved? How worse can your situation be that God cannot heal? What is if it has been required and that offering is more than sufficient and it is just? Hallelujah. I mean, you can just vote bo- any day. I mean, you messed up today, today night, man. I'm mean, like, God, Jesus Christ, I mean, I that is the truth. God loves that truth. Loves that truth. That is the truth. He says, you're coming not through the birth offering. He's not coming through any other way. You're coming through the door. I see you coming through the door. I'm going to honor you. That's why he says, I will honor you. You will be the posterity. That will be called the blessed. Okay, keep reading. Very important. I, I, okay. Oh, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. Look chapter before this, okay. Okay. Okay, if you don't want to go through that door, oh, Jesus Christ, you have to keep everything perfect. Let me see how difficult it is. How difficult it is. So difficult to fit. Okay, there's so much worse. But let me let me tell you what I can do. Okay, let's go to Luke chapter twelve. Verse this. Uh, Luke chapter twelve, uh, verse thirteen. And one of the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." And he said to him, "Man, who made you a judge or arbitrator over me?" Right. And you know what he said, right? He keeps going down. Verse 21. uh, Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich. You have to be rich towards God. How can you be rich towards God? You have to offer him everything if you have to be rich towards God. Right? Again, this richness towards God comes. Okay, let's keep reading. Uh, verse Then he keeps saying, do not worry about your food, blah, blah, blah. Verse 32. Verse 31. But seek ye first the ki- seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. That means you'll get all these things of the world that you want but you have to get the kingdom first. Right? You have to get the kingdom first. Right? And then Jesus makes a statement. Verse 32. Do not fear little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 33. Sell what you have and give. Hold it. Again, back all this offering stuff. You have to. If you want the kingdom, you have to give an offering. You have to give an offering. Provide yourself money backs which will not grow old, a treasure in the heavens which will not fail, where no thief approaches or mort destroys. Because that will be a just offering. It will not be destroyed. For where your treasure is, that where your heart is. Okay, got it. Next go, go to verse 37. Verse 37. Now he's saying, verse 54, and he said to the multitude, when you see a cloud rising from the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. When you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be hot weather. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky. How do you not discern this time? What time? The time that the Messiah is here. Can't you discern this time? Okay, what is he saying? Verse 47, why, yes, and why, even of yourself, do you not judge what is right? The whole point. Can't you know what is the right thing to do out here? What is the right thing to do? Either you have to give all your offerings, you have to be perfect before God, or you have to give all your righteousness, all your uh, you be perfect before God, or you have to receive the Messiah and depend on His righteousness. Correct? You have to choose. And this is when you, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. And I tell you, you shall not depart from that till you have paid the very last night. And this verse has spoken to me for so many years. You know, I've, I've, I've looked at this verse and this is so pregnant with meaning. Many times you go through this passage and you never understand this verse correctly go along the way, settle with the adversary. What are you doing? Who is settling with whom out here, Jesus? You know, it's like, you know who is his adversary? Satan. He says, Satan is going to drag you to the magistrate because the law is against you. You better settle with him along the way. You better, if you do not settle with him along the way, when is, where is this along the way? While you're still alive. If you don't settle with him, You are going to be drawn before the magistrate. You are not going to get away until you are paid the last mite. You cannot ever finish paying that. You cannot pay that. So he says, you better settle it. So how are you going to settle with the adversary along the way? What is he going to settle with? How can you settle with the adversary along the way? The only way the adversary will be satisfied along the way is when you tell the adversary that my punishment has been fully paid. You got it? That's the only, the adversary is not stopping until punishment has been paid. But when you tell the adversary that your punishment has been paid, you have settled with them along the way. So he says, if you try to keep the law, if you try to make it on your own, you will not get out until you paid the last month. Or you settle with the adversary and say that my punishment is paid in this time, this this time that the Messiah is here, I can see him. Jesus has paid my price. That is the truth. The truth is, Jesus has justified the ungodly. And I come through that way. I come through it. Settle along the way. Don't try to make it on the way. Okay. I want you to go to go to Malachi chapter 3. lucky chapter okay I want you to read Malachi... And if you can stay with me on this Malachi chapter, we'll we'll be winding out shortly, but try to understand this passage. This passage is the key that opens the whole gospel, the whole Bible. If you understand this Malachi book, or book of Malachi, this is the key. Remember Jesus said to the lawyers, you have the key of knowledge, you do not go in yourself, nor do you allow others to go in. If you understand this book, this whole Bible just opens it. And you will, not, you will not start applying scriptures that don't apply to you and don't get condemned by stuff that don't belong to you. If you can understand to how to rightly divide God's word, you will, this is going to be so crucial. So if you can sustain with me and understand this book of Malachi, you will understand the gospel, the Bible. All right from Cain all the way to Zechariah, uh, sorry, Abel and the, the, the fight is always between somebody going to go through the door of Jesus Christ or trying to go through their own efforts. Really, the whole Bible is up to that. Till the Genesis to Revelation is all about... That's the only thing that differentiated Abel's sacrifice from Cain's sacrifice. Abel said, I will bring a lamb. Cain said, I will bring my fruits. Got it? God said, and God told Abel, uh, Cain, sin sacrifice is crouching at the door. Means, that's exactly it. The Bible translates... Some of the translations don't do it justice. But what he says is ah, that, that the goat is there at the door. He's crouching. Why don't you pick him up and give him off to sacrifice? Why do you want to bring in your, your works to me? That's why he says sin... Crouch, the Bible says sin is crouching at the door and we think that Oh, sin is at your door. You better rule over it. No, no, no. That's not... Hey, look, Why do you need sacrifices if you're not a sinner? You are already a sinner. That's why you need sacrifice. Isn't it? If you are righteous, why do you need a sacrifice? Because you are a sinner, you wanted a sacrifice. But he says, don't come with wrong sacrifice. Same problem. Come with a sin offering. Sin offering is there at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. Rule over it. That means he is submitting to you. Take it and offer it. Jesus came to the world bowing down to man. So that you can offer him as a sacrifice. And he he stands at the door at every man, every flesh, offering himself. But his sacrifice has already been finished. But he stands. You rule over him. That means offer him up. So when you accept Jesus, you're saying, I'm going to bring the perfect sacrifice. I'm going to offer the perfect sacrifice. It's all about offering. The whole Bible is about an offering that man had to give, but man will not give, or man will try to pretend to give his own offering. Really? The whole Bible is about an offering. Have you thought about it that way? The whole Bible is about an offering. It's an offering message. It starts with Cain and Abel. He doesn't want to give an offering, a sin offering of the Lamb of God. He wants to give his own offering. He decided that, you know, this grain is good. You know? God had no problem with this grain. Just like God had no problem with the evil sheep. But he said, I want my son because only his offering is just and perfect and more than enough to meet the punishment. You got it? You see the thing? See, any time you bypass that offering and come to God for a relationship and pray, you are short-circuiting that and you are a den of thieves you get this picture of this den of thieves concept so when you go to God outside of grace and try to get something from him you're just being a, steel, a thief you're being a thief and Jesus is always gone before me are all thieves and robbers no one can come to the Father except through me I mean you me no, the offering that is demanded by my father. You better sell everything, and even after that, you will not be enough. Oh, this is so powerful. And we talk about this passage for discipleship training. You know, he, if, 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 if you do not hate your father and mother and do not forsake everything and follow me, then you by no means can be a disciple. Because he is really cutting it down. He's telling, "Your guys want to be my disciple. That means you're going to try to do what I can do." You know? Okay. Let me tell you what I have done. I left my father forsaken everything and I have come down. You think you can do it? See, now you understand that passage very deeply. And many of them after that passage just disappear. And churches and pastors and discipleship leaders all use that passage and condemn believers. It is not for us. It is for the ones who don't want to get in through the door. And who want to become like Jesus by their efforts. And says, hold it. Can you pay the price? And a lot of the videos say, You Lord, I can pay the price. Mount Sinai. I whenever somebody says I can pay the price, I'm like, Mount Sinai, are you are you ready? What price are you going to pay? How much price can you pay? That's why Romans chapter 10 says, Do not say that I will go down to the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Do not say I can rise up to the heavens. That is to bring Christ down from the heaven. But the word of righteousness speaks. It is in your mouth. See? Ask, oh, powerful. So, what did I say? The Book of Malachi is the key that opens very much the whole Bible. And if you can see the Bible as an offering uh, issue, that God is now deciding what offering will satisfy me, which I, which I can have fellowship. And it's all an offering message. Now, in this context, understand Malachi chapter three. Now, the whole chapter. That is why I never understood. I give my tithes, but the heavens have never opened up for me. Okay, let's go and read this. Malachi chapter 1. Now he starts by saying often, okay. This whole book. Are are you all ready for Malachi? I know because this is so powerful, I know sometimes sometimes doctrine takes a little time to get deeper, deeper, and you get a little bored. But I'm telling you, man, if you get established in this, the whole Bible will open up for you. And I want you to just stay with me a little bit, okay? Okay. I have loved you, says the Lord, and you say, in what way I have loved you? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And laid waste his head. See, God decides when he loves you, he says, I have, I have deciding who to love. I am going to decide on my own. Without the person's goodness or works, I am going to decide on my own whether to love you. He's making a way for what to come? Grace to come. See, I like that. That God can just decide. To love you in spite of your works. And you think that's not fair. But God says that's fair. You know why? It's for your benefit. Because you are wicked. You know whenever we say that. Whenever you think about you know oh, God is not fair. He is blessing Jacob over Esau. You don't, you don't think. You are the Jacob man. If you knew that you are Jacob. You would not complain about Jacob. Only the righteous. The so called pretend righteous. Will complain about Jacob and Esau. God says, wake up and smell the coffee. You are Jacob. I am making a way for you to bless you. Not by your works, but because of somebody else's works. Esau worked, Jacob got blessed. Esau did the game, Jacob got blessed. Jesus, your elder brother did the work, you get blessed. You came in Jesus' name kind of wrongly, but rightly." And, said, and came to Isaac, Isaac the father and said, bless me. And the father accepted him unknowingly. But a real father, the father in heaven, knows you are coming in Jesus' name. Knows that it's not your work. But yet he says, I accept you and I will bless you with my eyes open. Hallelujah. He says, that's my offering. It's all about an offering. It's an offering. That offering I received, I like the Esau's offering. But I'm going to bless Jacob because I like Jesus' offering, but I'm going to use it to bless you. Hallelujah. I like the deal. I like the deal. I like that deal. Right? Okay, keep reading. I don't have all the time to read the whole thing, but keep, keep reading. Let me see. Verse 4. Verse 7. You offer defiled offer. See? You offer defiled food on the altar. And you say, In what way have you defiled? You say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice. I mean, he just rips about, rips their offerings. Again, back him. he says, you offered me the blind, the lame, the sick. Is it not evil? Offer it to your government. Governor. Would you, would you be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Look at He uses common language. He says, would you give it to your governor, the sacrifices that you're giving me? And you're giving me this? I'm telling you, they could have given the best sacrifices, but God would say that sacrifice is not enough. Because he's not, in, remember, he doesn't delight in sacrifices. But offering that's not his plan. Correct? And, this is, and now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this has been done by your hands will he accept you favorably says the Lord why is there even among you who would shut the door so that you would not kindle the fire on your altar in vain I have no pleasure in you says the Lord nor will I accept an offering from your hands I mean how clear can God get I cannot receive your offering can I be more clear unto you <laughs> The man is like sneaking in his offerings all the time. God says, I just cannot accept your offering. Plain. Let me make it very clean. I mean, I'm giving you hints all along, but I just let me tell you openly. I just cannot accept your offering. Why? You cannot. But then he makes a prophecy. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down, my name shall be great. Like my name is going to be great. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering see for the first time he talks about a future prophecy when a pure offering will come to me Ah, hallelujah hallelujah that's the pure offering he's prophesying right now for my name shall be great among the nations now he's talking about the gentiles because these gentiles can will give this pure offering the jews could not give an offering how can the gentiles give a pure offering he's prophesying see it's hidden the gospel message is hidden out here okay for, but you profane it in what way? The table of the Lord is profiled, is defiled, you say. Okay, keep reading. You bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, and thus you bring an offering. Is this an offering message? Still an offering message, right? Should I accept it from your hand, says the Lord. But curse be the deceiver. There you go. He calls you a deceiver, right? The ones who don't want to go through the door. He who has in his flock a male, he takes an vow and sacrifices to the Lord. What is blemished? See, your offerings are blemished. Says the Lord, my name to be feared among the nations. And then he goes to the priest. And he says, I will curse your blessings. I have cursed it already because you do not take it to heart. Because you do not give glory to my name. Okay, keep reading. And then he prophesies about a priest that is coming. My covenant will be with him. One of life and peace. And I will give them to him that he may fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth. Look at the word truth. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was found in his lip. Was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many away from iniquity. He's talking about a priest that is coming, whose offering would be perfect. In his mouth there will be the law of truth, right? For the lips of a priest shall keep knowledge. Okay, keep reading. Still about an offering. Okay, keep reading. Verse thirteen, and this is the second thing that you do. Right? You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, and He does not regard the offering anymore, and receive it with goodwill from your hands. And you say, for what reason, Lord? For what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness, because you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, for she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And did He not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring, and therefore heed your sp- to your spirit, and let not anyone dealt treacherously with the wife of Jesus. If you have a problem with your wife and you dealt treacherously with him, God says I cannot receive your offering. So now He says your offering is blemished. Suppose you bring a good offering, He says you have a, you don't get along with your husband and wife, then I cannot receive your offering. God says I cannot receive your offering. You have to be perfect in your dealings with your husband and wife. You have to be dealing. That's the only. So look at how the standard keeps going up, right? God is keeping the standard of your offering very high, simply because you cannot meet that standard. You can never be at complete peace with all men. You cannot have forgiven everybody. Correct? Can, can you have forgiven everybody perfectly? Oh, there's a passage where Jesus says, How many times the disciples say, How many times should I forgive? God Jesus said, 70 times seven. And immediately the disciples say, increase our <laughs> faith. You know. <laughs> and Jesus, instead of uh, sympathizing with their condition, Jesus gives them a parable should read this Bible. He says which of you having a servant when he comes out from the uh, outside having done all the, uh, when the master comes into the having done all the work in the house when the master comes out, which of you having a servant will tell the servant, sit down and I will serve you? No one. But what does the master expect? When he comes after he uh, into the house the servant, even though he has worked everything in the house, guess what? What does he have to do? You have to Serve the master more, correct? And then he says, even you, having done all of this, say that you are unpro- unprofitable servants. We have only done what was our duty. Who are they? This is Jesus. He's saying, after all that I've forgiven, how tough it is, Lord, you know how tough it is to forgive. After all I've done, I should at least get an appreciation from Jesus, right? At least, oh, you know, you're good, done, well and faithful servant come down let me let me clean your feet and because you've done such a good work you've forgiven so many people let me clean you jesus hold it after all that you have done when i come in you got to clean me obviously he's not talking about the covenant of grace correct he's talking because when you try to post in the law and you try to say that you will be you'll forgive everybody you'll love everybody you'll do everything correct and then by your deeds you come and serve me guess what You are not enough. You still have to do some more. But the same Jesus said if he watches for the Master and he opens the door, the Master himself will come down and wipe their feet. In a different parable, there he's talking about the gospel. Right? In the gospel, the role completely changes. Our offering is conditional, it's not conditional. Because our offering is Christ Jesus. He says he himself comes down and he wipes our feet in this gospel. So which gospel are you serving? Is this the gospel of your offering that you are so proud about? Which is perfect that you think this blemishness I have sacrificed and I have sacrificed all my life for this God. And therefore Lord you have to bless me. And God says that is defied. You don't even get along with your husband or with your wife. How can you even come to me? See See how the demand increases when you try to come in through any other door to him. Are you getting this? Are you getting this whole concept of being a robber to God? Don't rob God of His glory. Come to Him openly. Come to Him saying, asking God, asking. Don't try to come in with your offering of your works and of your righteousness. We you get this. Malachi is not even over. We're still at chapter 2. Okay? And then He says, and for the Lord says, He hates divers. He covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and do not deal treacherously. You have buried the Lord with your words. And then you come with his offering and you keep on telling God how much I love you. In, this, in what way we have worried you? And you said, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of God and he delights in him. There is the God of justice. Oh, this is beautiful. This is prophesying a time when people who who's look at us, you and me, who are invoking in the new covenant, who receive the blessings of God and they look at you and say, these guys are not even perfect, but yet they are blessed. Where is the God of justice? Are the the people around you, the Hindus, the Muslims, do they look at you and say that? "Yeah, what is this? It's not fair. These guys are not even most intelligent. They are not the blessed, the perfect. They are not the uh, most uh, uh, diligent. They are not the most hardworking. But they get blessed. God says, yes, they get blessed because they are not coming in through. They are offering. They are coming in through the door of Christ Jesus. You got it? So you see, you vary me because the the just who boast in their own righteousness are always complaining about the others who they see are blessed. Remember the covenant says, this is the posterity that who the Lord has blessed. Well, You want the blessing of the Lord, irrespective of works. Are you willing to receive it? But if you want to receive it, you have to receive it by faith. Christ Jesus, right? Okay. okay, read. And that's how the Malachi chapter 3 starts. The type chapter. We always use that as a chapter. But this chapter is really about offerings. The perfect offering of Christ Jesus. Now let's read it with that key. Do you see that key? Now that, that chapter will open to you before your... The, uh, the chapter will open to you before your eyes, right now. Behold, I send my messenger. His prophesying. He will prepare a way before me. The Lord whom you seek, He will come suddenly to your temple. Jesus came suddenly to the temple. And he will come the same way second time when he comes. He'll come in Jerusalem suddenly, correct? Even the messenger of the covenant. He's talking about this blue covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He and we look at it negatively. We look at this verse as a dread of punishment. God, Jesus is going to judge me and purify me and tire me and hit me and ban me and put me. <laughs> it's not it's an offering message you see he will sit as a refiner as a purifier of silver he will purify the sons of Levi and purse them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness for the first time this Jesus is going to make you righteous therefore now in in Christ Jesus we are good offerings to God hallelujah hallelujah we are an offering of righteousness to God. For the first time, God has received a good offering. For the first time! In Christ Jesus, He has received a clean offering, a pure offering, an offering of righteousness. Say offering of righteousness. So we are an offering of righteousness to God right now. For the first time because of Jesus. Not because of our sacrifices, not because of our works. Not offering of righteousness. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And it's the last book in the Old Testament. <laughs> I mean, God reads the whole He prophesied, Prophesies promises, and Prophet says, This is happening! It's happening! It's at your door! You're good. I wanted an offering of righteousness and my son is going to give it. Right? Great. Just watch it. You're gonna shout. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord. For the first time. The offering will be pleasant. God likes this offering. As in the days of old, as in the former days, I will come near you for judgment. He says, if you don't come to me with this offering, he's going to come as a swift. He will come swift against adulterers, perjurers, everybody. Right? For I am the Lord, I do not change. See, God does not change the standards of righteousness. I do not change. Just because you cannot keep it, doesn't mean that I am going to not change. That's powerful. But he says, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. Hold it. That doesn't make sense the ritual read for I do not change therefore you are consumed but God says I do not change but I also do not change in my covenant towards you so though you have become evil my covenant towards you will not change so even though you as believers sin I do not change your offering is still righteous towards me you are not consumed hallelujah I did not change. I did not deserve no, Today, this morning, she is like horrible. Horrible. I cannot fellowship with her. You are horrible. I mean, what a stupid movie did you see tonight. No way I can fellowship with you. You better confess. Next three days, Fast and pray. No! I do not change. You are not consumed. Because your offering is righteous. Do you see your offering as righteous? Do you see this revelation? You are no longer a robber. See, Philippians says, God, Jesus being man, did not consider himself robbery to be equal with God. See, anytime you try to be equal with God, unless you are God, you are a robber. Jesus being equal to God did not consider himself to be robbery to be equal with God. For the first time, we are not robbers when we are in Christ Jesus. We are equal with God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! See, God, Jesus gives us the standing in Christ Jesus. So our offering is righteous? Okay, I'm going to rush because I have to go. Okay. For I yet from the yet from the days of yet, he says, though this is a great covenant and I do not change, you are not conceived. Yet from the days of your covenant, you have kept gone away from my ordinances. You have not kept them. Return to me, he says, return. He says, In what way should we return? Now he explains how to return. And this message that we use for tithes is an answer to this question: how do I return to God? How do I return? How do I return? How does God want you to return to God? How does he how do you return? With a full time, with a perfect offering. Say perfect offering? You have to come to God. When you return to God, you have to come with a perfect offering. Amen? You have to come with a perfect offering. To, so he says, look at read this. So will a man rob God? Same thing. Rob. Yeah. Yet you have robbed me, says the Lord. In how way, what were you robbed? In tithes and offerings. See, offerings also, not just tithes. Means you have to give everything. Your offering is all defiled. You robbed me, right? I, you need to give me a full offering. If you need to have fellowship with me. But you are offering me all these defiled ones. Five <laughs> you are cursed with a curse. Because the Bible says in Zechariah, and I don't have time to expound here. There's a curse that has gone through all the world, a curse that goes into the house of every thief. You go and read it in the book of Zechariah. It says, a a curse has gone into the house of every thief in the world. Anybody who is a thief in the world, there's a curse that divorces them automatically. And we would think that thief means it's about stealing goods. No, the guy who steals and brings a wrong offering to God is a robber. So this curse is in all the world. Apart from God, if, if, apart from Christ, if you go to God, this curse automatically rests on you. That is why the Bible says in the last words, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's how the, the Old Testament ends. It ends with the word, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Okay, read this. And that says, bring all the tithes into the store, that there may be food in the house. Means what? Bring all your offerings. You cannot do it. You can only do it in Christ Jesus. Only do it in Christ Jesus. This. And that there may be food in the house. For the first time, food is there in the house. Because that is the only food that you can be rich towards God with. You cannot bring, you have to be rich towards God in the offering of Christ. Try this is. I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that won't be room enough to receive it. See, that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We have exceeding great riches in Christ Jesus that you never know of. There is so much blessing that you have not even known of. The Holy Spirit is now declaring those things to you. I have time. No worries. I he's he's opened the storehouse of heaven. You that which is, is fulfilled in Christ Jesus towards you. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. And I will rebuke the devourer for you. The Holy Spirit, because of what you have received, Jesus Christ and this offering, the, the enemy, the adversary is rebuked. See the adversary settle along the way. He cannot be rebuked until it has been settled. The offering has been complete. See, now it is settled. He can rebuke him. He cannot come to you because his offering is complete. I will rebuke the devourer for his sake. He will not destroy the fruit of your wine because otherwise he has access to your goods apart from Christ Jesus in the wrong. That's why whenever you try to depend on your own works, the enemy has access in that area. See, the area where you have lost the most in your life, check it out, is the area where you depend on your flesh the most. Check it out. In the area where you depend on your wisdom, your understanding, that's because in that area, the offering was your offering, not the righteousness of Jesus Christ as a gift. Got it? You have to believe that God justifies the ungodly. Romans says that is faith. When any area that you believe that, you receive this offering as a faith, and that's the word of truth. Okay, and then finally he says, and all the nations will call you blessed, and you will be a delightful life. Isaiah's prophecy. This covenant. You'll be blessed. And then you says, your words have been harsh against me. Why have we spoken against you? It is useless to serve the Lord. What profit it is to keep your ordinance? We have walked as mourners before you. So you call the proud blessed and the wicked are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. See, he's talking about our covenant. Uh, he's talking about our covenant. It says, Many times, we even, even though we fall, uh, we fail in our, as a believer, but we still go free because we are in Christ Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. We are blessed. Our covenant is sure. And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and a book of remembrance was written for them. And he said, they shall be mine. He's talking about us. Okay. And we do not have time to go for the rest of the things. But All I can say is, go and read, uh, go back and read Malachi chapter 4 and he says that those who follow this righteousness in Christ Jesus, they will go as to, they will grow fat like stall-fed cattle, calves they shall trample the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of my feet. On that day, I will do it, says the Lord. Remember the law of Moses, and remember Elijah. And behold, I will send you Elijah. He says the Moses and Elijah both spoke about this offering, this Jesus that is coming. Remember what both they said. That's what Jesus says, "Do this, otherwise I will come and strike the earth with a curse." That is outside of this, you're a robber, and this and the curse overtakes you. But in Christ Jesus. You will be my. You will grow a stall-fed cattle. Say stall-fed cattle. How many of you want to be stall-fed cattle? I mean, I want it. Stall-fed cattle means a cattle that doesn't even work to go out and eat. Food is brought to it and grows fat. That is a whole That many of the many times I have heard, you hey, all just be cattle and like just be lazy and sitting in the church and just feeding and feeding, whole day. Hallelujah! That's a promise in Christ Jesus. The enemy wants you to think that you are lazy because you don't go out and work. No, I don't want to work. I want to sit here and listen to the word. Hearing comes from the word. Faith comes by hearing. I want to hear the word of God more. I want to be a tall, fed cattle in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! God is good? So which offering. Jesus' offering. The word of truth, hallelujah. Man, there's so much. we have not talking half the message. We'll take it next time. <laughs> but God is good. Let's just pray.